we're competing for people's fun money. You know, there's no need to go to a roller coaster park, which uh, some of your fans might disagree with me there, but you know, it's, it's, it's really not something that, that somebody absolutely needs. And I think that, you know, that really came out during the pandemic here. You know, we actually, unfortunately had some parks shut down for, um, you know, a year and, and that rippled through the industry. Um, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of people reaching out to one another, looking to collaborate on projects. You know, everybody was in the same boat. Everybody was, was trying to, uh, survive some of the difficult times. And, uh, it was, it was, it was great to see that, you know, you could reach out to somebody that normally you would deem a competitor. Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I'm doing really well. How are you? I am fantastic. Awesome. Yeah. So glad to hear that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I got a question for you. All right. So thinking about all the elements that create a great coaster ride you know the the train that you're on the track the seats the whole thing what do you think is the most important between the track the train the seats the elements the elements the, the whole thing like all that coming together you can get granular granular and talk about the wheels i'm just curious like from your perspective what's the most important the mechanism that propels the train out of the station and into the ride, whether it's a traditional lift hill, launch, elevator system, or drop off a cliff. Why is that the most important? Well, if without that, then you're not gonna you're not gonna have anything at all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Well, what about you? Um... I should have thought of that before I asked you that question. Oh, Oh, (laughs) I I would say the track. Okay. Is, and maybe I can't go, you know, hundred percent in on that, but I would say for the, for the most part, if you don't have a good track, if you don't have a good design, if you don't have a good layout, then you could have the best train in the world, but it's still going to be maybe a a subpar ride. Mm. So to me, the track is, really really important i totally see what you mean i tell me tell me more expand on that why uh, or what what makes you think that well because i've been on some coasters that when you get back into the station you're kind of like meh right and i look back and i think what made that so meh right was it the the train that I was in? Was it the rolling stock? Was it, you know, you know, other parts of the experience? Was it the track that was designed and built and then maybe maintained or not maintained over the years that ultimately, you know, created that ride? And I I think back to some of my favorite rides and I think a lot of thought 
has gone into the track. A lot of thought and time and effort and energy. And I'm sure that's happened on every coaster. But the ones that I really feel like, you know, give me the, the thrill and the experience I'm looking for, that somebody really had to put a lot of time and effort and energy into that to make it something that is really rewritable, really thrilling, really cool, and just fun. And speaking about rides that are rewritable, thrilling, cool, and fun, we have Jake Kilcup, the Chief Operating Officer for Rocky Mountain Construction, on the podcast today. And, you know, I wasn't even, well, I mean, obviously I was thinking about that a little bit when I asked you that question, but then when you asked it to me and I thought, really, the track is so important and bing, 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 that really ties into our guest today, because one of the things that RMC is famous for is retracking coasters that may have, you know, fallen into a heat pile. Mm -hmm. pile. Yeah. And, and you know, I think back to a road trip I took in 2011 with a few friends. We, we were all living in Orlando, and we drove from Orlando to Dallas to ride the new Texas Giant, Rocky Mountain's first project where they retract, converted from wood to steel, and added some pretty wild elements to it that completely transformed the ride experience. And I remember getting off the ride and Thinking about some other rides that could use the RMC <laughs> treatment that that if I recall all the ones I listed, I think that the all those boxes have been checked, actually. Uh, but but an amazing story. Uh, we had the opportunity to interview Taylor Bybee uh, not too long ago. The uh, filmmaker just came out with the new documentary, This Is How We Roll. So first of all, quick thank you to Taylor for uh, introducing us and getting us in touch with Jake. So we can now look at it uh, truly from the RMC angle and, and talk about what Jake does on a on a day-to-day -day basis. And we talk about the process is and what it's like, uh, you know, being uh, being an executive with one of the most popular ride manufacturers in the world right now. And when you say popular, it's not just with the parks, right? Mm -hmm. It's kind of, you know, um, spilling over into the general public where you could be walking around a park and see somebody with an RMC t-shirt on that you probably wouldn't see that with many other uh, ride manufacturers. And I think what's so cool is how they've embraced the fandom of their of their coasters and how they really that's really a part of their whole ecosystem when it comes to gathering feedback and talking to people and making announcements. And, you know, it's not just about the park, but it's about the fans, too. And I know a lot of other manufacturers do that as well, but it's really interesting to hear Jake's take on all that. It is really cool because if you think about the general public, you know, they they wouldn't know what RMC is. They don't know what, what the other manufacturers are. They think that the parks just build the rides themselves. And that's okay that, you know, that they think that. But RMC has really been able to kind of charge forward into into introducing them themselves to the fans of the parks and the fans of the rides and being able to to build fandom where where not too much existed outside of those who were much more familiar with the industry are those who were enthusiasts with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's also interesting about this conversation is, is talking to Jake about how he has kind of moved up and through the company. And, you know, he started when the new Texas giant project was going and how it was a very small company back then and how the demand for RMC coasters and, and the process has, has really, really ramped up and how they've had to grow as a company and some of those growing pains, but also some of the opportunities that have come with so many more projects. 
Yeah, absolutely. So should we get to this interview with Jake Kilcup? I think we should hit the dispatch button and take it away. Well, to quote the title of one of your books, all clear. <laughs> and we are out of here. Jake Kilcup from Rocky Mountain Construction. Welcome to the Attraction Pros podcast. How are you? Doing well. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, thanks for uh, sharing some time with us today. So Jake, let's get started here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your role with Rocky Mountain. Yeah, um, so I started at Rocky Mountain uh, a little over 12 years ago now. Um, came in at, on the, uh, the Texas Giant Project when the company was still pretty small. So I got to come in um, when we had about 10 employees. Uh, so wore a lot of different hats, uh, filled in a lot of different roles, basically uh, picked up a lot of balls that were getting dropped just based off of a you know, young growing company, learning how to do something for the first time. Um, big benefit of that is, you know, I got to get my hands involved in, in a lot of different things from the design process to the manufacturing process, all the way through the installation of the ride, you know, dealing with the, uh, uh, the customers directly, dealing with all the subcontractors directly. So Kind of, kind of just been able to get my hands in the middle of, uh, of everything as this company's grown and, you know, as it's grown bigger and bigger, I had to uh, take it a step back, um, not have as much control or, or, I guess, visibility throughout the whole company, you know, trust people to do their jobs. And uh, it's, it's a little bit hard to do sometimes, but, uh, you know, the, something that you've got to grow with and it's, uh, it can be hard to step back and let other people take over. But uh, that's, that's really where we're at right now is is uh, this company is really taking off and, and we're just trying to bring in young, great talent that, that has, a, has a burning in their hearts for this, for this industry. Um, that's, that's what we build ourselves on. Awesome. Well, Josh and I have a burning, burning desire to be in this industry and stuff, but um, so we're excited to talk to you. Um, my question then is, so you didn't come from the attractions industry. A lot of the people that we've, we've talked to, you know, they grew up that way. Or they started, you know, sweeping the, sweeping the park. Um, you did not. So what was that learning curve like coming into a company that was, you know, destined to build some of the greatest rides kind of ever? Right. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, I, I'd always been a fan of roller coasters. Um, I hadn't specifically followed them, but I've always been kind of a, adrenaline junkie to do a lot of action sports, dirt biking, snowboarding, you know, things like that. So, um, so I always had a drive for roller coasters. I love that. I love that dropping feeling in my stomach and I'll forever miss it because I don't really get it anymore. Uh, <laughs> if I get it, I take note. But, uh, so when I stepped into the industry, I had a, you know, I had a pretty heavy design background of my master's degree in architecture and, you know, I've done, uh, work on that scale. So it was a little bit of, uh, you know, a little bit of a change, but a lot of the processes are similar. Um, and, and just learning the industry and, and, you know, it's such a small industry, really, especially domestically. We all know each other, competitors, customers. Um, we all really know each other, see each other. And, and uh, you know, one interesting interesting thing about this industry is, is how much uh, we're able to hang out with our competitors and, and uh, get along with them, <laughs> which, you know, a lot of times competition, uh, breeds clicks, you know, you stay in your little section, stay in your little section, but, uh, uh it, you know, it was, it was a pretty natural transition, especially coming into a company that, uh, didn't have a lot of the processes fully defined at that point. You know, we had a, we had a start point and we had an end goal and how we got there was still being developed. 
Can you talk a little bit more about that camaraderie amongst competitors? I think that that is something that is, I don't know if that's unique to this industry or unique to ride manufacturers within the industry as kind of like a subset of the overall industry, but what exactly is, is that like, and why do you think that is? Well, it is interesting because, um, you know, it, it doesn't feel natural to, to go out and have conversations with your competitors, but, but at the same time, we're all, we all depend on one another. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a industry that completely thrives on its, on its safety and, and thrill levels. So it's important that we all perform at a high level. Um, that's why we're all involved in, you know, ASTM and, and uh, uh, making sure we're setting the right standards for the design on the front end. So that we're all playing by the same set of rules and paying attention to the same safety guidelines because we're competing for people's fun money. You know, there's no need to go to a roller coaster park, which some of your fans might disagree with me there, but you know, it's, it's, it's really not something that, that somebody absolutely needs. And I think that, you know, that really came out during the pandemic here. You know, we actually, unfortunately had some parks shut down for, um, you know, a year and, and that rippled through the industry. Um, you know, we had a lot of, a lot of people reaching out to one another, looking to collaborate on projects. You know, everybody was in the same boat. Everybody was, was trying to, uh, survive some of the difficult times and uh, it was it was it was great to see that you know you could reach out to somebody that normally you would deem a competitor or you know there's 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 competition that that, that drives everybody to be better and lifts everybody up to a higher level uh, but doesn't require us to uh, to hate one another and I think that's kind of where our industry is, is we're able to uh, to to be with one another see one another but you know drive each other to uh, to do better. Jake, can you talk a little bit about how that camaraderie does drive you to be better? I mean, I know you mentioned safety, right, in ASTM, and we're all making sure that we're as safe as possible. Um, but at the end of the day, too, you know, you might be competing for a bid with a particular park or things like that. So what is it about that camaraderie that does push you, you know, to, to try something a little different or more out of the box or, you know, just, just something that people haven't seen before, that kind of thing? Well, I, I kind of mentioned it a little earlier, you know, I, I love that dropping feeling in my stomach and I haven't been able to find it. So, um, as, as often as I used to. So a lot of that is just driven by trying, trying to do something bigger, better, uh, something that nobody's seen before. I mean, it's the same thing that drives, you know, any of your action sports, you know, I mean, you look at the progression over a pretty short period of time and you see some major, major differences in freestyle motocross or something like that. I mean, guys pushing each other ends up with better product in the end. Um, and that's really our goal is to keep, keep all these customers coming back um, and, and looking for that better product. And when you see a competitor release something that you wish you had been able to uh, come up with first or something, you know, that, that hits you a little bit and it, it wakes you up and, and gets you in the, in the office a little early looking for that next thing. Mm. So it's, it's really cool to be able to have a, that, that drive and that search for that even more thrilling experience to go find that, that stomach dropping feeling that, you know, you've now been kind of desensitized to, right. And then you get to, you, you get to play a role in now making that come to life. What is, what is that process? Like if you're out on your dirt bike and you do something and you're like, Oh, I've never done that before, or, you know, never felt that way before. Can we now incorporate that into a roller coaster element? What, what is that? What's the kind of the process of getting from A to B there? That's a little messy. Um, honestly, <laughs> I mean, you, 
you do something uh, up in the mountains or, or out in the sand dunes, and it's really a, it's a, it's a feeling that you're trying to recapture. Um, so you're trying to uh, give the general public this feeling that you normally wouldn't get unless you were doing something that that came with a, a high amount of risk. Um, and what we're trying to do is capture as much of that uh, adrenaline rush that we can uh, while still eliminating the risk involved with you know doing something um, out there where you have no control systems, nothing protecting you. Um, so it, it is a little bit messy. And, and as you kind of talk through it, it's, it's not necessarily you're trying to create the specific element, but you're trying to capture the feeling that you had during that element. And that's one thing that, you know, um, working with Alan Schilke for the past decade is, is he's, he's probably, he's probably the best there is at uh, being able to capture a, a feeling and, you know, he can look at a layout and a ride and he can really predict what it's going to be and, and how it's going to feel pretty, pretty close to what the, uh, what the real outcome is going to be. So, um, a little bit of back and forth, you know, talking with guys like, uh, Alan Schilke, Fred Grubb and Joe Draves, you know, some of these guys who've been in the industry for a long time and really understand things really well and kind of get the idea of what our goal is. And then we sit down and try to figure out how we get there, how we capture that feeling, but in a, uh, safe, buildable structure. I think that's one of the things that I'm really curious about being, not being a designer, but being a roller coaster fan um, is, you know, I played roller coaster tycoon and I can, I can, you know, design a roller coaster on there, but, you know, to build something and to put in the effort and the design time and the build time to build something, you know, that is, you know, a, a large working machine and then what if it doesn't make you feel like you want it to make it, you know, to feel? So what's that process like? I mean, you can't build a steel vengeance, for example, in the in the backyard and say, hey, is this going to work? Um, part of that, I'm guessing, is computer design. and But part of it probably is just people that have the experience and know that if you bend the steel this way, this is how it should feel. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's you can't, there, there's inherently, um, there's inherently risk in, in, in a layout design and is it going to come out exactly the way I want? There, there is, there's always something that cannot be fully prototyped. Um, you know, I mean, these are, these are large gravity machines. Uh, as, as soon as they leave that chain lift, you know, you really hope all your numbers uh, were right because if it doesn't come home, it's going to be a bad day for everybody. Um, thankfully, you know, we work with great people here who, who do a great job of, of pulling those things off, but yeah, like a, a steel vengeance type of project. Um, it's, it's interesting. Cause I know a lot of the fans probably throughout that build, and, you know, there's a lot of anticipation and we don't get that same anticipation because we're usually backs against the wall working as hard as we can to pull it off. So it, it, it's almost like opening day sneaks up on us on a lot of these rides. And then, you know, the first day you get to go get to go ride that thing and that's when you really start to think about okay is this good because you go through the design the initial design the pitch process right and you you've got these ideas that you're trying to show a customer and walk them through and you know some customers are extremely knowledgeable and understand see what you're see what you're going with with very minimal need to show them um, others aren't others are, are more on the business side you know or, or focused on other parts of amusement and that's how they got to the position they're in and you have to kind of tell a story a little bit. So you, it, it's a little bit of a, you know, you're an artist, you're, you're trying to sell something um, that has to be explained that has kind of an emotion and a feeling to it. Um, 
So going from that process, and then you take a big break for however long the uh, manufacturer and install process is, and then then you jump to open day, and then you think back to, oh yeah, that that that's that's the story we sold. Now let's go ride it and see how it feels. And you know, it, it doesn't always feel exactly the way that you anticipated, but every ride has a little surprise to it, something that flew under the radar that people really weren't tracking that ends up being a real powerful moment. And that's, um, that's kind of what I live for is trying to, trying to predict those little moments. Um, cause it is interesting. I mean, a lot of people cling to the large element that they see, you know, that the parks really put out there and, you know, those elements are great, but, uh, I'm kind of an underdog type of guy. So I'm always looking for that, that little, little something that's going to grab you. For sure. Yeah. I would say the last 10 seconds of Steel Vengeance is that little surprise right there. So no, no spoilers for those who, uh, you know, whoever read it here. But um, I, Jake, you talk about, uh, or you mentioned, uh, you know, RMC's fans. And I think that that uh, can be a, a cool topic to talk about because I feel like Rocky Mountain has more of a dedicated enthusiast base than perhaps other ride manufacturers, because it seems like it, it actually bleeds into the general public, which is uh, almost a little unusual for the amusement industry. Can you talk about what it's like having fans of your product and how you're able to really engage with them to promote their their advocacy? Yeah. Um, well, it's, first of all, it's, it's, it's extremely humbling to have so many people care about what you do so much, that they're following it, they're keeping an eye on it. They're usually, again, their fun money, their free time, um, some of these RMC recreations or RMC, what if they did this right, uh, sort of things that you see on the internet. I mean, these, a lot of these people are very talented too, and very knowledgeable in what they're doing. And they've, they've done some great, I've seen some pretty incredible rides on YouTube that, uh, some of our fans have done. Um, when you're walking around a park, trying to sell a ride, walking with the customer for the first time and you, you look around the park and you see your logo, um, that's, that's pretty cool to see. I mean, I, the enthusiast group that we have, you know, it, the, the community is obviously diehard. I mean, they absolutely love uh, amusements, um, you know, all different manufacturers and everything. And it's just so great to see, you know, I, I never thought that we'd be selling merchandise. I'd never thought that, uh, you know, we'd have these advocates that are at any time a park puts out a poll, you know, what should we do next year? You know, you've got this group, this, you know, maybe a minority, but there's still a vocal minority, you know, screaming out to a management team, like, let's get an RMC in here. Let's do this. Let's, I mean, that's, I don't see the downside to it. Um, and we get to interact with them a fair bit. I mean, uh, we've, you know, people have been coming through uh, Idaho every now and then on their way to Silverwood or whatever, and, you know, we'll, we'll give people tours. We'll, we'll meet them. Um, we'll see a lot of enthusiasts at IAPA, obviously, shows like that, um, media days, uh, opening days, you know, you get the chance to, and, and, you know, it's, 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 again, it's not hard to sit there and have a conversation with somebody that is so interested in what you do. Um, it's, it's pretty neat. And I, yeah, taking the time to, uh, to sit down and talk with enthusiasts when they come through and have questions or I mean, it's, it's invaluable to me. Um, first of all, it, it's, it's great. It's the least I can do to give back to them for how much they, uh, how much they really pump us up, um, out in the, um, out in the rides community. So we absolutely love that we have a diehard group of fans and, uh, we're gonna do everything we can to keep them happy, keep putting out crazy rides. Awesome. Sell them more merchandise. Um, 
<laughs> so, so I had a question earlier. You talked about kind of getting into your role, and now as the company is growing, you're having to not necessarily step back, but allowing other people to make decisions and allowing other people to kind of do their thing and probably delegating a lot more as the COO. So can you talk a little bit about that growth process and you know what kind of things have you had to either learn or let go of along the way that maybe you didn't want to let go of, or it was hard to, to kind of let go of some of those processes? Sure. Um, yeah. When, when we were when we were small, I mean, it was okay to do uh, a, a lot of different things because uh, we had one project uh, going at a time. So you were able to manage that um, and deal with it. But as you grow larger and you want to be able to do multiple projects a year, you have to step back, you have to delegate, you have to hand off and you have to trust people, um, which can be difficult, very difficult, you know, and nobody's going to step in and do it the exact way that you would do it. You just have to trust and understand that you're bringing in somebody who's better than you at it. They specialize in it um, and get out of their way. Uh, be there to overlook, um, discuss, you know, what are your end goals? Why are we doing it this way? Question. Uh, that's, a big, that's a big thing in this company is if anybody ever wants to know why we're doing something within the company, they can ask and we will answer it. You know, I mean, down to the welders in the shop. I'll go out there and be working with them on a design and they'll ask me, you know, why are you telling us to do it this way? We think it'd be a lot easier that way. And we'll go back and forth. And, and I think that's really what uh, allows us to, um, to, to build a lot of the things that we're able to build is, is the full team input throughout. Um, we have a lot of very smart, very talented people in this company, and it would be tragic not to use their knowledge um, and, and to trust them. Uh, that they understand their craft better than you do. Uh, so I think that's a big part of it. it trust is difficult. Um, I'm a control freak, so it, it's, it's really hard to, uh, to let that go. Um, but that's, I mean, that's, that's a personal growth issue right there. That's, that's me needing to step back and, and allow people to make mistakes, just like uh, Fred and Alan let me make mistakes as they were kind of training me up. You know, they, they let me fall on my face and make a mistake and then they dust me off and, you know, we talk about how we got there and why it happened and how we prevent it in the future. So, you know, mistakes happen, but uh, just can't be repeated and, you know, can't be anything major. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jake, I'm curious, and uh, this is maybe a little bit more of a, a specific manufacturing question, but you talked a little bit about when you were going through that, that period of growth that... It was, a, it was much different when you were focused on one project at once and then going to multiple projects at once. And I'm curious how you're able to sustain that high level of product integrity for each individual product while at the same time meeting the rapidly increasing demand that Rocky Mountain has been getting over the last several years. Yeah, I mean, we just having to, having to manage, you know, two, three, four times as much uh, work as, as we had started out. It just requires processes, um, you know, things that we were already doing, but maybe weren't written down or didn't have specific guidelines on how to do them. Or, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of good project management software out there. There's a lot of tools out there that can be utilized. So it was, it was, it was more adopting those sorts of tools and processes and inserting them into the company, making sure that it wasn't going to change our culture to a point that we weren't us anymore. Um, it, it, it was important for us to hang on to our culture because that's really what, you know, that's the heartbeat of this company. Uh, but to refine that culture to a point where it's sustainable and repeatable, you know, that was, that was, that was really important to us. So, like I said, there's, 
there's tons of options out there. There's tons of tools. There's tons of processes. It was bringing them in, trying them out, and not being afraid to cut bait and abandon them if they weren't working for us. So, Jake, how do you protect and preserve your culture, uh, especially as you grow and get bigger? Uh, because every person that comes in, they're going to have their own, you know, personal agenda. And that's not a bad thing, but just everybody comes from a different place. So how do you protect and preserve the, the RMC culture? Yeah, uh, when we add to our team, you know, that's obviously an extremely important thing. We, uh, you know, depending on the department, we'll do team interviews. We'll, we'll have multiple people in there talking to somebody. We'll, we'll really try to we'll ask you what you do for fun. What do you do outside of work? You know, we're really looking for somebody that fits personally because anybody that we bring in to have an interview is going to have the ability and the talent. So it's really down to, you know, we're, we're pretty lucky, um, really, in, the, in this industry. We do cool stuff for work, so it's not hard to really – to find talent, you know, it's not hard to find somebody who wants to work here. So we're able to be almost a little snobby and try to find that person that just, you know, fits in well with us. Um, you know, different personalities are great. There's not a problem there, but there's gotta be some form of assimilation to our culture. Um, but the different personalities obviously are a huge help because that's, that's what keeps the checks and balances different, different, uh, people coming in with looking at things from different angles, different perspectives is, is uh, extremely important. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes to RMC's culture, uh, the world just got a little bit of a peek behind the curtain a little bit in yeah. the new documentary, This Is How We Roll. And we were fortunate to interview Taylor Bybee a few weeks ago from Coaster Studios. And we talked about uh, kind of the filmmaking aspect and the, the production of, uh, of the documentary. And it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, as you watch that, uh, how do how did you react to that now kind of being on the other side of it and being able to, to see it all come to life and how Rocky Mountain, um, you know, is, is portrayed and now like really in the spotlight in the public. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I just want to say Taylor, Scott, Sarah, they did an amazing job. Um, that project was a lot of fun. It was invasive. It's inherently invasive. Um, but they handled it really well, very professionally. And I think we were all thrilled with the outcome of that project. I mean, some of the details of, of, I mean, I really liked the end credits. They had a song. They, had, it, they, they went all out. Um, so props to them. Coaster Studios, great job. Uh, watching that was a ton of fun because uh, RMC is a little bit of a whirlwind. You know, I mean, I look back and I don't know where the time went. And this was the first excuse that we had to like kind of sit back. It was really great because we got to do it as a team. Um, we, you know, there was a big big first screening up here at Silverwood 10 miles from our facility so all of our team got to be there um, and we all kind of got to sit back and watch it together uh, and you know it was just a stroll down memory lane going you know I know they focused on a couple of specific projects but they did go through the growth of the company and talked about all these different projects and you know you just hear people in the stands oh yeah remember that oh that was horrible that was you know there's all this great reminiscing that uh, nobody just didn't have time for you know we're on to the next on to the next that's uh we don't we don't get a lot of time honestly to appreciate uh some of the projects we've been able to pull off and you know all the employees here at rmc should be extremely proud of themselves for what we've been able to accomplish and uh i think that was a great opportunity for for them to kind of show off to the rest of the world what they've been capable of doing you know what our guys in the shop are able to build what our guys in the field are able to install and what our design team's able to come up with so um yeah, it, that, that was a ton of fun. 
Yeah. Well, and Jake, you just mentioned, you know, the design, the build, the, um, uh, the manufacturer, you know, the, all those phases of the project. And I would imagine that at any one of those phases, if there's just something a little, a little off, right, you get to the final, final ride, and you're going to have a major issue. So uh, maybe my question is around quality control or going from design to install. How do you make sure that what you designed is now being perfectly manufactured, and then perfectly installed? Like, what's that process like? Yeah, um, yeah. So we are pretty vertically integrated. So it's, it's, uh, it is important that everything kind of runs really smoothly. We don't have a lot of room in the schedules typically for hiccups. You know, we're, we're, we have an overall design, but we're detailing um, while there, there's one point where all three of those design manufacturing installer are going on at the same time. So, you know, making sure that everything runs smoothly is important because if they don't receive their deliveries on site then the whole thing shuts down and you got, 30 guys on a job site that, that adds up quick. Um, and so, yeah, we have this, we have the speed and, and things running smooth. Um, and then obviously we have the quality control that are, uh, you know, almost uh, two opposing sides of the coin, right? Uh, you can't put the same person in charge of quality if they're in charge of, of production. Uh, so that's, that's a big part of it is, is separating those two entities. Um, we utilize a lot of new technology. We're always looking for some, uh, some new way to, to, to measure, to verify, to, to uh, prevent the possibility of a mistake. Um, our design process inherently has some checks and balances in it that uh, would throw up red flags in the manufacturing side of things, which is nice. Um, I, I'm about, right now I'm sitting about 100 yards from our uh, manufacturing facility. So our designers are in the manufacturing facility daily verifying verifying um, things being built the, the way that they should be. Our, our, our manufacturers are reaching right back to us if they see any issues. We have a very open back and forth relationship since we're so close and since we're part of the same entity. You know, if you were, if you were designing and subbing out to somebody, you know, across the world, obviously that's, that's there's inherent efficiency issues that, that you run into there that, you know, we're able to circumvent. Um, and it also helps on quality control uh, just the fact that everybody's part of the same company drives higher quality control awareness. I think, uh, you know, if you're, if you're building for somebody else, I, I hate to say that, but if you're building for somebody else versus yourself and you're going to be held responsible for something, it, you might take it a little bit more seriously. Um, but we, we lean on our processes, our, our technological advances in the shop. And, uh, we bring in third party, uh, third party people to keep us honest on the, uh, on the quality control as well. One thing I'm wondering too, Jake, is uh, as many of us know, one thing that RMC is very well known for is transforming older coasters that have become a little bit more difficult from a maintenance standpoint or even waning popularity. And uh, on the whole, that you know, the feedback has has been so overwhelmingly positive. You look at Steel Vengeance compared to Mean Streak at Cedar Point, New Texas Giant, Texas Giant, uh, and, and so many other projects like that. Has there ever been any backlash to RMC for, uh, for for undoing what's already been done, or you know, for for people who maybe preferred the you know, I I was a big fan of Guazi at Bush Gardens, but also very excited to ride Iron Guazi when it you know yeah. when it opens next spring. But curious if if that ever you know has has caused any friction, whether it's with the community, with uh, you know, with the industry, or even with those those other manufacturers or designers. 
Yeah, we've we have definitely had negative feedback, and it, typically it starts when we announce a, a ride, and then as as we go through, um, we start to win people over, or you know, there, there's going to be some of those people who just they were a dedicated fan of that of that coaster, and there's just no way you're going to get them back. But we 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 try to be uh, we try to reach out to those people and uh, uh, you know let them know our intent. You know, or it's not our goal to uh, destroy a ride. We do our best to try to keep the spirit of what that ride was. But, you know, for example, the Texas giant, we were completely unproven. People didn't know what it was going to be in the end. We got, we got a lot of hate mail. Um, and that project, you know, took, that was a long install project. As well, it wasn't just a uh, one off season. So um, at IAPA, uh, we had a lot of people come in and, you know, they weren't very happy. And some people were, were actually pretty upset to be honest with you. Um, and, and then in the end, uh, that kind of went away. You know, we stopped hearing from those individuals. I don't know if we won them over or if, you know, it was over so that they, they moved on. I, I, obviously I want to tend toward, uh, we won them over in the end and, and, you know, maybe they saw that that ride maybe wasn't sustainable in the long term or, you know, was causing too much difficulties for the park. And this was a way to kind of hold on to the legacy of that ride while reinventing it. Um, you know, Colossus was, was obviously a big one as well. I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's that's probably one of the most historic coasters in the world. It's probably the most photographed and videotaped uh, that coasters movie star. So, um, but that doesn't we don't we don't lose sight of that. You know, that was uh, that was a big thought process going into the design side of that thing. Is let's not let's not lose what we have here. Um, let's let's find a way to make this uh, somewhat historical or tie back to the to the history of the ride and just you know, just, just updated a little bit. And, and I, I, I think I'm becoming more and more of a coaster nerd because I, I, I kind of have pieces of lumber from a lot of these projects <laughs> stowed away at the house. So <laughs> I, uh, I definitely, I definitely don't lose sight of the, uh, the historic side of these coasters that we've uh, had the opportunity to rework. So I, you know, I hope in the end people enjoy what we're doing. Um, you know, and, and, uh, I, uh, you know, I mean, some of, some of the old wooden coasters just need a little help sometimes, and that's all we want to do. Yeah. I think by definition, having lumber from an old coaster at your house, that, that puts you in that nerd category. So welcome to the club. Um, <laughs> but um, uh, I guess my question, too, along that same line is that, you know, every and I'll just speak as a, as a coaster enthusiast, every RMC transformation that I've ridden, I think is absolutely needed for that coaster because otherwise that coaster was probably going to get demolished, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you look at something like a mean streak at Cedar Point. I don't know what else they could have done to that coaster besides level it, you know, and start right. over because again, just speaking as a coaster rider, it had gotten so rough for me that I wouldn't even ride it. You know, you go to the coaster capital of the planet and I'm not riding one of the big signature rides there. So when that got transformed, I was like, yes, now I can now I can ride it again. So that's got to be part of the thought process, too, for the parks that oh, you absolutely. work with, that this is either going to, you know, we're going to have to start over or we can kind of, you know, tap into what we have and make it even better. Right. I, yeah, I think that's absolutely the thought process of the parks is. Let's not lose, lose the legacy of what we have. And, you know, let's face it, a, a big wooden coaster is just visually, it's a great aesthetic. Um, it looks beautiful in a park and it's diverse, right? I mean, 
it's it looks different than the other rides and there's less and less of them being built they're not being built as large right and uh you know they really are more of a domestic thing i mean i know they are worldwide but we have the we have the lion's share of the large ones here in the u.s um so it's a yeah it's a little bit of a, an american feel to it but uh we just, yeah, we, we want to grab that legacy, hold on to it and keep that, keep that aesthetic in the park and just show people that, you know, just because it's wood doesn't mean it has to be tame. Um, and if, if, if it needs to be tame, we can do that too. Uh, I mean, we, we definitely has a, we have a design philosophy that we want to stick to. We don't want to, uh, uh, you know, stray too far from the RMC feel of a ride, but, uh, I think there's a lot that can be done with some of these wooden coasters. So I hope, I hope if it parks out there considering, uh, you know, tearing a ride down that they would, uh, they would pick up the phone, give us a call first, because uh, I think we can make a win-win for everybody. Well, and that brings up another question as far as how that conversation goes or how that conversation starts, because there is the, there's the, the renovation of the ride, of the refurbishment to convert the wood into the RMC steel. Uh, but many of your rides, especially over the last five, six years or so, have been built from the ground up. So mm -hmm. do you go in, whether it's from a, a sales process or a relationship process, and say, hey, we can fix that, or you've got some unused land over here that we can put this in? What, is, what does that conversation look like generally with the parks? Yeah, um, you know, it kind of depends on the park and the project. If somebody comes to us with, with an existing structure, you know, we have no problem pitching something to go on that structure. If they come to us with an open, open plot of land, you know, we'd love to attack that too. And a lot of parks have come to us with a, a less desirable open plot of land, um, something where the topography is a little bit challenging. And, uh, you know, we see the potential there. We know it's going to be a, a, a little bit difficult on the build side, but, you know, there's nothing like a great terrain coaster going through the trees. So, we love that opportunity, but, you know, we just don't, uh, you know, it's important for us to express to the parks that we can service whatever need you have. Um, you know, a lot of it, we get shoehorned into being the, uh, the coaster reprofilers just because that's how we got our start. That's how we got into this industry, but you know, we're able, we're, we're capable of doing a, a ground up wood coaster or ground up steel coaster, um, single rail track, double rail track. I mean, we can, we can do a lot of different things. Uh, so that's, that's, that's one thing that we do, you know, make sure that we express to the, uh, to the park owners, you know, a lot of times we might get pulled in because they're specifically looking for a wood coaster or a reprofile. We'll be bidding against a totally different project, but you know, uh, they're either going to go with us or they're going to go with one of these other five manufacturers over here who do this thing. And we're, we're just always trying to explain to those park owners that, hey, we can be included in that group of, you know, five people over there as well. We can do this, but we can also do that. So, you know, whatever you're looking for, we're happy to be a part of it. Jake, can you describe the RMC feel? Yes, uh, to some extent. So uh, I always, I always describe it as weightlessness. You know, we're, we're definitely, uh, I'm not, I mean, I like all sorts of roller coasters, but I'm a little less on the heavy, heavy G. Most people like to feel light rather than fat. I mean, most people, if, if they had the choice, would rather be on the moon than the bottom of the ocean. So that, that's really what we're, we're pitching is that, that flying through the air, coming out of your seat, uh, weightlessness feel. Um, and we, we want the layout to be less predictable when you're on it. You know, we really want you to, 
to not be able to know what's coming next. And the smoothness of our rides are allow that ability. You know, you're not you're not having to brace yourself uh, like you were talking about on some of the old woodies coming around that corner. You know, there's everybody's got a wood coaster riding stance, right? And, you know, you spread your legs out, you get your lap bar. You know, there's there's a way to do that on, on a specific old ride. And, um, and you kind of need to see what's coming. Otherwise, you, you know, get a little jostled. Um, so we want to we want to surprise people. We want people to have fun uh, and we want it to be rewritable. You know, that's that's a huge thing is to hit a, hit a wide demographic. You know, I've got um, I've got an eight year old. I got three kids, but I've got an eight year old. You know, I'm just starting to get him on coasters a little bit more. And it's just it's awesome when grandpa or grandma can ride with, you know, with grandsons. Um, great experience. Great first coaster experiences, you know, uh, and and both people can handle it and ride it over and over again. That's that's huge. So that's the RMC feel right there. Now, what is it like for you? What do you feel when you are observing, whether it's on opening day and people are experiencing it for the first time, or you ever just go and stand at an exit ramp of a oh, ride yes. just to do it? What, what is, what's that like for you? <laughs> that's the best part of the job. I mean, that's, that's where uh, you just see all that hard work, thousands of hours of work, design, manufacturing, installation all come out. And when people come into the station and are clapping, they're getting off, smiling, talking about jumping in line again. I mean, that is so satisfying to see that people, especially opening day, people, some people stand in line for three, four hours to ride your ride. Like that's, that's an incredible statement. Um, so whatever we're doing that captures that, I want to keep doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So Jake, when you talk about those rides that your, your son can ride along with your, with your parents, for example, you know, um, I know that there's a lot of science that goes into what an eight-year-old can take versus what an 80-year-old can take. So how do you balance that? So it's, it's thrilling enough for your eight-year-old, but almost tame enough for the, the grandparents or vice versa. Like where, where are you putting that, that time and effort into the design to know what, how you're going to be able to apply, uh, appeal to both of those audiences? Right. I mean, and it does depend on the project because sometimes the, you know, the park isn't looking to hit all that demographic. Um, but, but I guess the, the idea is, is that we make it so it's rideable for the demographic. It's smooth, it's safe, it's fun. Um, but, you know, admittedly, we have some rides out there that are probably too much for most, uh, younger children and, and probably some older folks as well. But, uh, you know, the, the type of older folks that are going to, uh, going to amusement parks on vacation probably can handle it in most cases. <laughs> so Jake, since you said that, that over the last several years, you have become a bit of a coaster nerd with the lumber that you have, you know, at, at, at home and those, that memorabilia there. What is your favorite non-RMC coaster that you've ridden? Ooh. <laughs> um, I have a couple I'll have to mention. I can't, I can't give you an all-in favorite. Um, but a couple that when I rode them made me take notice, you know, grabbed my attention uh, was X2 at, uh, at Magic Mountain. Um, I also really enjoyed uh, I-305 in Virginia. Um, those were really well, well done rides. Um, and then I, uh, Top Thrill Dragster was a lot of fun. Just who doesn't like to accelerate like that? That's, that's <laughs> you know, that, where, where in the world can you ever feel, feel that feeling? Um, so that's a pretty inc incredible thing to, to be able to do. So. 
Yeah, like those are those are some of my favorites. Unless you're like a jet pilot or something getting shot off <laughs> of an aircraft carrier or something, right? You're not gonna you're not gonna get that kind of acceleration. Um, so I have kind of a similar question, um, but you talked earlier about those little moments, those little surprises that maybe you don't put in the brochure, but those are the things that you look for. What are some examples of those? Oh no, now I'm going blank on that too, of <laughs> course. Uh, <laughs> um you know, it, it wasn't a, uh, it was an element that was, this is a horrible example, but it, wait, <laughs> it, it, it was a, it was definitely a known element, but uh, the, the zero G roll up onto the cliff on Iron Rattler is just, uh, it was so well executed. Uh, Alan, Alan nailed that design. I mean, and, and it was built well. And when you go through that, I mean, that is a unique feeling um i absolutely love that feeling i also uh really love the uh the step up under flip on joker out at cg or uh discovery discovery kingdom mm -hmm. um those there's just some elements that just kind of just grab you the one of the okay here's a good one uh steel vengeance the coming out of the mid-course brake run when like backseat getting ripped off that brake run just down into the structure and where you're going to live for the next thousand feet or so like that i absolutely love that feeling just getting drug into that that um i'm definitely a backseat rider i like to get ripped around a little bit but uh yeah that that was one that was one part of the ride that i i absolutely loved and i could just you could just see people almost like taking a breath as they got to the mid course and <laughs> sorry, it's not over yet. Right. Well, sometimes the mid course is the best surprise on any coaster. If you're not, if you're not looking around, you're like, well, that was fun. Let's get off now. And then, you know, yep, yep. <laughs> and then especially if you're in the back and then uh, you get whipped back over. So uh, Jake, this has been uh, so much fun. Uh, we really appreciate the opportunity to get to talk to you today. Um, if people want to, um, they want to reach out to you. They want to say hi to you directly, or they want to learn more about Rocky Mountain Construction. Where would you send them? Yeah, just go to our website, uh, RockyMTNConstruction.com, Rocky Mountain, but abbreviated, Construction.com. Great. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Jake, now you've got me uh, wanting to go ride Steel Vengeance or, you know, some other fun coasters like that. But this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for your time. And for everybody out there watching and listening, just remember that we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.